Oh, Jesus, we want to just tell you that in uh, our prayer now. As we sung it out loud and we've been moved to think about what you gave up. You came from heaven for us and you gave up your royal title. You became a servant. You gave your life that we could have life. I just pray today that you would help each of us to see you and the way you're calling us to as the best way, the best way to know the full life that you promised that you'd bring. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks so much for engaging fully today. Well, I just want to say good morning to you. So glad that you're here. I want to welcome everyone who's watching online or will be watching this at a future date. We're just so glad that you're with us as well. And just encourage uh, every one of us, I'm just going to ask if we grab your message notes. We're going to jump right in today. If you pull the message notes out, they're going to be helpful. And if you're watching online, there's a space there for you to click and you can get your own message notes and you can take notes as we go through and then respond at the end of the service, just like we'll do here. That would be wonderful. And uh, so we're in this series on uh, practicing the way of Jesus. Uh, we've walked through several messages I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, but the whole idea uh, that is behind this series comes from the verse that is on the top of your notes from John chapter 10. I just want to encourage you to, I forgot to mention this, if you have your Bible, open it to Philippians chapter 2. We've read a lot of Philippians 2 today, and so we'll be there double dip and no, we're also going to Mark 10, okay? So we have two places that we're going to spend a lot of time together in today as we go through our time uh, in our service. So at the top of the notes, there's the verse, Jesus says this, and this is what he would say to us, I have come that you, that you, that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, wouldn't that wouldn't you say that's what we all want, right? We all want to have a life that would be called to the full. And well, that's the life he promised, and so that's what we're doing is we're looking in this series and we're realizing that as we practice his way and as we follow him, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, as his apprentices, we said that the model is that we would be with Jesus, we'd become like Jesus, and we'd do the things that Jesus did. All three are part of the way that Jesus has called us to live. So in the first week, we talked about the fact that Jesus has given us a way to pray, and we've talked about, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. We introduced our 2020 church prayer. just encourage you, if you've not been doing that, it's very meaningful experience to be able to do that if you can every day. We do it six days a week, and so if you want a card, there's some in the lobby that'll help you know more about it. You can watch that service. And then second week, we talked about that we all want to be his apprentices. And uh, that, that's where we got the idea that we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And then last week, uh, Pastor Mark did a great job of taking us into this idea of practicing justice and calling us to get off the sidelines and to get in the middle of the fray when the play, in the places that we see injustices in our world. And today we're going to see that he has a way for us to live that's practicing the way of humility. Humility. Now, there aren't many conferences out there that you can go to that says, come learn how to be more humble. It's just not what we're into in our culture today. We want to know how to be better. We want to know how to do more. We want to know how to take the next mountain and accomplish better things in my life. And, but I believe, personally, that as we look at our world, the number one character trait that's missing is humility. It's just humility. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the most humble man who ever lived, 
and we're going to learn from him about how we can practice humility in our own lives. Humility is one of the key character traits of Jesus Christ. It's one of his key things that he was known for, and it's a way of life that I'm just going to say this. It's possible. It's possible for every one of us to live a life of humility, to actually be humble. It's something that we can strive for. It's something that we can actually attain. So Pastor Mark sent me this definition of humility this week, and I thought it went really well with what we're talking about. And humility is this. It's living with the right understanding of who God is. So God is the creator. And so it's really helpful that we understand that God is ruler over all, and he's designed the world to work in a certain way. Understanding of who I am. So how do I fit and who am I? And how do I um, work within the design that he's given us that we should fulfill in this world? And then who others are. So God, others, God, me, and others. And then that is the definition of humility, when I can have the right understanding. And today what I hope to do is just give us just a tidbit, a brief look into what the right understanding might be. So we want to jump in and look at a moment in Jesus' life when he defined what it was to be humble. Uh, we're going to look at a moment when he's walking along with his disciples uh, and uh, James and John pull him aside and they want to talk to him. And so Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. That's pretty bold, wouldn't you think? We want you to do for us. I want what I want and I want it now. What do you want for me to do for you? I think he's kind of playing with them at this point. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, Well, here, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. So the day that the the kingdom would be made on earth is that that's when they want to sit there. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Once again, I think he's pushing them a little bit. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can. That's not humility, is it? <laughs> we can, they said. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a minute. I'm going to, we're going to come back to that story on the backside of your nose as we get towards the, more of the end of the talk. But I want to take a minute right now to talk about what we saw there. So, you know, we're going to look at Jesus' response to the disciples. We're going to look at what they were asking and how they were asking questions that actually can be blockages to humility or barriers to humility. Uh, hindrance of humility, and it's, we can see him right here in this interaction with Jesus. But before I list these, before I list the three barriers to humility, I want to give you the number one barrier, number one barrier, not besides the three that we're going to look at in a minute. And here's the number one barrier to humility. We are all sinners. Number one barrier. We are all sinners because sin is the greatest barrier to humility. It's me, it's you, it's us, as the popular TV series says, this is us. We're all sinners, and we are the reason that humility has such a hard time catching on in our world and in our lives. And the greatest barrier we face is humility or pride. C.S. Lewis said this, he said this about humility, he says, in pursuing humility, the first step is to realize that you've got a problem. To realize that you have pride in your life. If you think you're not proud, you are very proud indeed, he says. So you really struggle with that if you think this is not your issue. 
But pride takes all kinds of forms. So I'm going to look at three barriers that, from these verses now that will help us out. Three barriers. The first is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Said James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. You know, it wasn't like for someone else, it wasn't to help anything to be accomplished as they were working with Jesus. It was simply, we have this desire and we want you to do it for us. And so we see in them their self centeredness. They were putting themselves above the mission of Jesus by worrying about future recognition. I just now future recognition as opposed to current impact. So their request was self-centered and it was full of pride. Second is this, self-promotion. Self-promotion. So just in case they were, you know, along back behind the back going, you know, hey, you know what? Look at these other disciples. You know, some of them are maybe a little sharper than we are. And if we're not careful, they'll end up being at the place of honor. And so I think that we need to go up to Jesus and we need to let him know just how awesome we are. And so let's do that, okay? Because we want to promote ourselves because we want to have this place. And he says, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand. And so the idea was, if you're a king, that you would have your honor guard, so to speak. And the second in command would be on your right. The third in command would be on your left. And so they were asking for the, seat, the seats of prominence above anyone else. Jesus, just in case you haven't noticed, you should choose us, right? You know, we're the best. You should choose us in this way. They were to to tooting their own horns. Choose us. Choose us. We're the best for the job. Now, in the culture of this day, that was just something that everyone then would have understood. Like I said, right, second, left, third in command. So these two were asking for the best seats. And then the third is this. This is the word for you. Self-aggrandizing. There we go. Self-aggrandizement. And... Um, I really had to look up the spelling to make sure I did it right, and that's how it's spelled all right. And so they, what this is, is that when you think more highly of yourself than you are, you think more highly of yourself than you are. So they, were, they thought pretty highly of themselves at this moment, and Jesus says, look, you don't know what you're asking when you ask me this. Can you, can you really, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they're confident, overconfident here. And so they pushed themselves up to the top and they said, we can. So they had an overinflated view of themselves, an overinflated view of their abilities. They had an opinion of themselves that hadn't been tested, an opinion of themselves that wasn't based on reality. They really didn't know what they were asking when they asked for this. And so because we all have a sin problem, we all look outside of ourselves. This is what they were doing. They were looking outside of themselves as a way to identify or clarify their identity. And folks, anytime we do that, that will lead to pride. And pride is what? Okay, let's do it again. Pride is what? Sin. Okay, let's just be honest about that. It's sin. And so all of this pride then led to, if you want to write this down underneath that, those lines, self-exaltation. Self-exaltation is what it led to, which is always a barrier to humility and greatness. So self-centeredness, self-promotion, self-aggrandizement, these are signs of pride, and that's why they get in the way. And pride is when we think of ourselves first, when we try to get things using our own skills, and when we think we can try to get things on our own because we believe we're qualified or we deserve it in some way. This is what uh, Lewis Smeads, I, you know, one of, you know, someone, 
you read someone's books and you're like, oh, your books are so amazing. And then you realize that the person is dead and he's no longer living. And you're like, oh, what a loss it was to our world that your life was cut short. But Lewis Smedes is one of those guys. I love reading his books. He's got a book called Love Within Limits. And he says this, every time you meet a new person, this is our common way we work and function in culture. You are unconsciously wondering, how can this person contribute to my need to prove that I count? Whoa. So every time you meet someone, you're assessing how can this person contribute my, to my need to prove that I count. Life becomes a constant battle to use people to bolster, bolster your own self. So he's defining unhealthy pride. It's a sickness, actually, that causes us to hunger for glory, that uh, needs the respect of others to be able to be okay that needs to be assured that you're important or you're valuable. So then if that, those are barriers, and we all can struggle with these, we all can see ourselves here, all three. I think that we want to know, then how can we ever become humble? How can we ever walk away of humility? Well, I think we just look at Jesus, and we look at what he did. And we're talking about practicing the way. So that we can be with him, become like him, and do what he did. It's going to be a process, you guys, of work. And so why don't we give you the three steps that we're going to look at today to help us that we can grow in the way of humility with Jesus. And the first is this, choose self-forgetfulness. Choose self-forgetfulness. Now, this is, this is countercultural, and it goes against the way that most of us have been taught that the world operates. You know, we've been taught that it's a dog-eat-dog world. We've been taught that we have to fend for ourselves. But the Bible teaches an entirely different approach to life. Now, we've read these verses a couple of times, but in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it says this, do nothing. Would you underline that? Nothing out of selfish ambition, underline selfish ambition, or vain conceit, underline vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Whew. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So this flies right in the face of our, the cultural mantra for the last two decades of I have to do what's best for me. And we have a bunch of people running around, and that's their guiding light, is I have to do what's best for me. That's not what the Bible teaches, you guys. The Bible teaches something entirely different. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So he said selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. So selfish ambition is when I think of myself first. I put myself first. When I put getting what I want ahead of what might be best for you. Because I need this, and if I don't get it now, then there's a scarcity, and it may not be available to me in some way later. Selfish ambition says, I must have what I want. I must have what I want. Once again, that sounds like our culture. It sounds like some of it, we live that way. We walk through our day, and we're just believing somehow that I must have what I want. And if I don't get what I want, then um, other people haven't come through, and I don't have value and worth, and people have to continually give me what I want for me to be okay. Vain conceit. So what does vain conceit mean? Well, it means that I have an exaggerated view of myself an exaggerated view that I think I'm more than I actually am. 
where I think I'm better than you because I can do such and such. I know so and so. I've been here and there. All the ways that we look at that we notch ourselves in culture that we're somehow better than someone else is called vain conceit. Vain conceit says this, I deserve what I want. I deserve what I want. So when we have selfish ambition, it is I must have what I want. And then vain conceit is I deserve what I want. So you can see how difficult those two things are to lead us to a place of thinking about others because it's all about me. But humility, when we engage in it, it enables us to forget about ourselves and put the needs of others above our own because we trust that God will meet our needs. Did you hear that? I put your needs above mine because I trust that God will meet my needs. Now, I understand that there's abuse and, you know, and I know that some of you, when I, you hear me say that, you've been abused emotionally or physically, mentally by someone else. And I'm not saying that you should put yourself in a situation where you are going to continue to be abused by someone who will not ha- let any of your rights be met or puts you down in every way. That's not what I'm saying here. And that's not what the Bible teaches either. But it basically says in, an, on, in normal life, as we're going through normal life, that we have to learn to put aside selfish ambition, and vain conceit. So I was trying to uh, think of a way to describe what these two phrases might uh, look like, selfish ambition and vain conceit. And the best I could come up with is this guy. (laughs) Best I could come up with. Isn't he handsome? My goodness. That's amazing. So selfish ambition and vain conceit could best be described in two words that if you've ever raised chickens, you know, would be the pecking order, the pecking order. You guys, anybody else? I've never raised chickens. I had to read about this to know what I'm talking about. I have no no clue. And so, uh, but it's true in every flock of chickens that you will have this order that develops uh, where one is the ruler of the roost. And so if you have a rooster or more roosters, it'll be one of the roosters. If you don't have a rooster, it'll be one of the hens. And so basically, if you go to any chicken coop you want to go to, you'll discover that there will be this rooster or hen and um, they are at the top of the pecking order. And that's really dark side of this is that uh, when there's a chicken or rooster that's weak or sick, that they literally peck it to death. And so it's because the, the strong rise to the top in the coop. So basically, the, the one that's at the top, the rooster, let's say the rooster, rules the roost and gets all the benefits from being on the top. This is crazy when you think about it. They get the first choice of food. So anytime that there's food fed, the rooster will make sure it gets its pieces or its bites first before the others can get it. They get the best spot in the coop for sleeping. So maybe there's a, you know, a certain spot where there's not a draft of wind or there's a certain spot where it's more comfortable or it's out of the way or it's kind of you know, pr- pr- predominant as it's looking over. So it gets the best spot. And if you're a rooster, you get the pick of the flock. Okay, you get the best-looking hens for yourself. <laughs> so that's the way it works if you're a rooster. Uh, but So there's no room for humility or servanthood in the chicken coop. There's no room for that. Nor is there room, I'll just take it out of that realm, room for humility and servanthood in most boardrooms 
on most org charts, in most offices, on most sports teams, in most symphonies, in most orchestras, etc. You go down the list. People are trying to pack their way to the top, trying to work their way to the top. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. So that's the chicken coop way. But what does the Bible have to say about the pathway to greatness? Well, I'm going to read this quote to you from James William Booth. William Booth, excuse me. Uh, he's the founder of the Salvation Army, and he says this: "The greatness of a man's power is measured is the measure of his surrender." So the greatness of a man's power, woman's power, is measured by the greatness of their surrender, how willing they are to put the needs of others first. Our culture defines greatness much differently. Our culture defines greatness as simply just look at the one at the top. And that's why everybody wants to always make it to the top, to be number one. And if I didn't make it to the top or I'm not number one, if I came in number two, that's all. Oh, it's not, I never, I wasn't number one. And so it's constantly striving to be at that place. But what God does, he says he calls us to forget about ourselves and move beyond our need for recognition. Tim Keller says this in his little book that I would highly recommend uh, called the book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. He says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Just, just thinking of myself less. And so, you know, uh, the, the, I guess the key to this is that every time when you have a group photo taken, who's the first person you look at? Yourself. How do you judge whether it was a good photo or not? Whether you looked good or not? And so humility is I think of myself less. So first of all, uh, the second is this. We're called to choose servanthood, choose servanthood, and I would call it selfless servanthood, selfless servanthood. Humility is when others become more important to us than us. Others become more important to us than us. So just as Jesus came to serve, we're called to be like him and serve. And these are some verses that we just read a moment ago out loud together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be something used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he's saying that Jesus, I know it's hard to wrap our brains around. This is theology 101, but it's also graduate level theology at the same time. Jesus, though he was God, though he was God, did not grasp or hold on to his royal title, and he came and he submitted to the plan of servanthood for us. He submitted for us. Uh, we saw that. I don't know what your political views are, viewpoints, but um, we saw this recently with Harry and Meghan. What did they do? They gave up their royal titles. And what they said was, Harry said he get, they gave up their royal titles because that was the best thing for his family and the best thing for their son, Archie, that they would do that. So they gave up their titles so that they could serve their family. So Jesus took it even further, though. And not only did he give up his royal title, see, they got to carry on. You know, a lot of the conflict was how much of the benefits are they going to keep carrying with them and how much, the, the, you know, England's going to have to pay for them to have these extravagant, you know, royalty lifestyle. Well, Jesus not only gave up his title, but he gave up the benefits that go along as well. He became nothing, it says, and it so he took up the role of a servant. 
So instead of being the king over his people, which is what he is and will be again when he's, every knee bows before him, he became one of them and chose to serve, serve them. The number one way to grow in humility is through surrendering and taking up the servant's towel. The number one way to grow in humility is through serving and surrendering, taking up the servant's towel yourself. That's the number one way. So let's go back to our story in Mark. And remember we picked it up? We left off when they said that we can do this. They're so confident in their abilities and their who they were. And so then the others hear about this, right? So they're miffed. And so when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. So he's saying this is the way it typically works. Not so with you, he says. This is not how you are to be. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is talking about his identity, and he's saying, just as I came to serve, I'm calling you to serve as well. That is to be your identity, chief servant of all. Caring for them. John 13 is a great example of this. And we know that this is the story where Jesus stooped and washed the feet of his disciples. This is what it says in verses 3 through 5. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So he knew he still had all power. And that he had come from God and was turning to God. So what did he do? He showed them who he was. But he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, this is, the, this is an example of true humility here, that Jesus would serve, that the creator of the world would serve his creation. It's an example of ultimate humility. So serving is a sign that you are humble when you serve. Serving leads to life in all its fullness. Now, we value serving around here, and I was just thinking about, uh, you know, CityWalk Church, the church that we sponsor down in Yuba City, today is their one-year anniversary. And so I've been reading some things that they've been posting, and of course, that makes me remember, I still can remember, just want you to know, when the church started, so I'm not that old, I can still remember that. I remember back when we had our first anniversary and what it was like and what it required for our church to function and work, and, and the way we said it was, we all serve here. So when you came in the door, basically, we were sizing you up to see what you could do and how you could serve and how uh, we needed more people to help in every way. So we value serving. So the question is this, if I'm going to follow Jesus into the pathway of radical humility, will I voluntarily, joyfully humble myself and serve others rather than serving myself? And one key application is that we would choose selfless servanthood. That every person who comes to Twin Cities Church, I'll say those of you who are watching online as well, would engage in some way of service. And what I want to talk about now is the way that we can all serve together here. Because if we don't all serve together here, then we cannot fulfill the mission that God's called us to fulfill. Every task that we do in service here allows us to be better prepared so that we can help people, the people who come, the people who grow, um, engage, grow 
to be more like Jesus Christ so that then we can carry out the mission outside of the walls of this church as we go. So I'm going to give you an opportunity today. And um, to, if you wanted to choose to say today you want to serve, I want to ask everyone to grab this insert. And I want you to look at this. And I'm just hoping today is the day that you say you're going to get off the fence, you're going to get in the game, and you're going to engage, not just attend a church. Just engage, not just attend a church. And um, just want to look at down this list here. I'm going to ask you to look at this. There's two-sided, so you can look at opportunities here. And uh, I know that's one of the things that happens in a big church is one of the things that people come to a big church for is they want to be um, incognito. You know, they don't want really anyone to notice. And so many of you come in late, you leave early because you really don't want anyone to know you and you don't want to have to be asked to engage in some way. And so today's the day we're going to ask. We're going to just say, this is the ask, is we want everyone to be able to serve together. So you can look through this. And, you know, some of you are overachievers. I don't want any overachievers here today. And so I don't want you to check 20 boxes, okay? Because that's just, that's just your way of deflecting the whole deal. Because no one can get to you for 20 different things that you might want to do. So I'm going to ask you to look through this. And if you're not serving anywhere currently, if you're serving, I'm not asking you to serve more, heaven forbid. But you might do something different. And so you can look through this. You can see there's guest services. That's to make sure that people can be welcomed uh, one of the things people tell me all the time in the first time uh, letter I write and they respond back is how friendly we are and how they talk about the greeters, they talk about you know, the people who welcome them when they come in. Well, that's our guest services. And there's all kinds of ways. We have ERT that they do there. Then groups and spiritual growth, Pastor Mark heads this up and he helps people to know how they can get connected and, how, and group, but also help to grow spiritually. You can see some things there. Children's ministry. I just want to say that... Um, we have a thriving children's ministry, and we have lots of families who come, and we need more and more of our adults who are past the child-rearing years to say, I'll help. I'll help in that way. I don't know if you remember what it was like to have young kids and how you, every time someone would offer you a chance to have an, a, to, a moment to come into a church without your kids and having to worry about them, they were taken care of, how you could just, whoa. Oh, it was almost like a mini vacation just to go to church. Well, that's what we're asking you to do is to help out these young families. And then our students. We have a thriving student ministry. Uh, Michael Bauer and Emily Smithhart lead there as co-directors. And there's some opportunities for you to help as well. Student ministry, this is a, this is a crucial time in the lives of students uh, as they're growing in their faith. And their faith is being tested in every way. On the back side, we have facilities care. And this is all about making sure our environment's clean and attractive um, we have a goal, and, and just because I understand the law of entropy, I realize that this is kind of a, you know, a difficult goal to keep. But our goal is, is that we started when we moved into this building in 2005, that we would keep this building looking new as long as possible. We just want it to look new. And uh, that when people come, they say, wow, they really have a lot of respect for their facility. And they take good care of it. So that's how facilities care helps. Community impact. You can look at ways that you can help us with the, uh, the ministries we do to uh, go into our community. We have a whole other list of ways that we can serve in our different ministry partners. But these are ways that we engage to serve. Care ministry. I love our care ministry and our chaplain's ministry. Worship arts. Uh, then you can look at ways that you can help to make sure that we have uh, quality in our worship arts. And then our special needs. And... Um, from what I understand, outside of children's ministry 
and the joy that you have working with kids, that there's something happens when special needs gets together that is electric and so fun to be around when we have our special needs dances that we support. And, um, you know, I know I can't dance, and I'm sure most of them can't either, but they sure love it. And you won't see me trying, okay? So, um, okay, so there you go. So go ahead and write your name on this, and you can put it in the, in the offering baskets when they come around. Once again, make sure we can read your writing. It's another way to deflect. Just don't do that. Just let us know. If you're going to write on there, you might as well let us know who you are and that you can get involved in serving in some way. And I'll read you this quote because I came across this yesterday, so it won't be on the slides or anything. This is one from one of the desert mothers, St. Teresa of Avila. And she, she wrote this, and I can't, I don't know when this was. It had to be like 300 or 400 AD, something like that. I probably got that wrong. But here's what she said. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body on earth but yours. You see how vital it is that we engage with Jesus and his cause, and he invites all of us to do that. Now, I'm going to get to the last thing that will lead us to humility, and that is to choose sacrificial love. Choose sacrificial love. Philippians 2.8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility requires dying to self. Humility requires dying to self, sacrificially. So why do we do that? Why would we die to self? What would motivate us in a culture that's all about self-promotion to say, I'm going to take the downward, downward side to success and to greatness, the downward trend? It's simply when we understand how much Jesus loves us, that motivates us to love others. If we don't understand how much Jesus loves us, then we are not motivated to love others. It's sacrificial love. So I'm going to end with this thought. Remember how Jesus' disciples were, um, they wanted Jesus to give them a seat with him in glory, in his glory. They wanted the promise of exaltation. And Jesus says to them that the way to exaltation is the way of self-forgetfulness, selfless servanthood, and sacrificial love. And what he wants us to know is, is that God will lift us up in his time. That's what happened to Jesus, and that's the promise to us as well. Philippians 2, 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
See, we think the way of the t- to the top is through the pecking order. God says the way to the top is through humility. Humility, descending into greatness. Write this reference down, Matthew 23, 11 and 12. Matthew 23, 11 and 12. It's not on your notes or on the screens. The greatest among you, Jesus says this, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. They will be exalted. And then I'll just end with that last verse there. We love because he first loved us. That's why we love, and that's why we serve. I ask you to bow your heads, and let's close together in a prayer. God, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to we've had to be here today and to hear from you and uh, the challenge that we've received to get in the game in some way. I realize that our schedules are full. I understand that there's a lot of fear. I can comprehend the fact that we don't feel equipped yet. There's a lot of uncertainty and I pray, God, that you would help us bust through all of those fears. We sang this morning that there is no fear when we're standing in your love. Standing in your love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Because he, you first loved us, we love. So I just pray today that we'd come to a deeper understanding of the love you have for us. If there's someone here who's never said yes to Jesus as their savior and their friend, I pray that today would be the day where you would turn right now to him and you would look and you would say, Jesus, as much as I understand it, I choose you today as my forgiver. You went to the cross for me because I am a sinner and I have sinned. I have hurt myself and others and I ask you for your forgiveness and your cleansing And I choose to live for you through the rest of my life, Jesus. And God, now I pray because this message was so hard for me. I pray for me. He would help me in my struggle to be a servant. Where I want to place myself first. Where I want my needs to be the most important needs in the room where I want my needs to come before someone else's comfort, someone else's needs that are great, that, God, you would help me to be strong, to surrender. Surrender my desire, my selfish ambitions, and my vain conceits. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.